following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. What's going on everybody? This is Alex Fishbein back again with the Atlantic Files. And as always, we are brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and we are part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Now, you have heard me say this before, you will now hear me say it again. If you are looking to increase your skills in the game of basketball, if you are looking to gain some game speed uh, drills, some game speed training, and to start gaining a lot more on your footwork, on your ball handling, and on your attacking the rim abilities, make sure you check out Basketball Society Elite Training run by our very own founder, Martin Soares. He uh, does these training sessions one-on-one. Um, he is a great, great coach. He was a college player himself and he is looking to give back to the game of basketball. And so make sure you sign up, go to the website, basketballsocietyonline.com and you'll see a training link in there with a sign up form. You can see our reviews and you can read about the coaches we have that are currently part of our staff. So make sure you check that out. If you would like to improve your game, uh, on the court. So, we're jumping into this week's episode. Uh, last week I was talking about how, you know, the Celtics have a, a very nice team. They play some great team ball, but they didn't have any superstars, and how you pretty much need superstars to beat LeBron. Well, I mean, these guys are going to land me on the Freezing Cold Takes Twitter page because they come out, they, they win the first two games at home. Uh, which, I mean, I feel like there was a lot of people, even though, you know, most of the media, most of the fans and everything were, were saying that LeBron was going to win, a lot of them were giving the Celtics at least one game uh, due to how well they have played at home. And that obviously continued. Um, they they Right now, the Celtics have six guys averaging double digits in in scoring um Jalen Brown is leading that effort with 23 points a game in this series and then you have Horford at 17 and a half Morris at 16 and a half Tatum at 13 Rozier at 13 and Smart at 10 um I mean these guys are just out there balling these guys are like I said they're playing a great team game and when you have an 
older, slower team in in the Cavs, it's going to be very, very tough to face a team that's getting out on the brakes. Uh, uh, one of the best, de- actually the best defensive team in the league right now. And, um, you know, the youth on this team is just running Cleveland ragged. Uh, LeBron can only do so much. I mean, we've seen LeBron carry some teams on his own, especially when he was younger. But at this point in the game... In his 15th season, they're just, you know, I don't want to say there's not enough in the tank because obviously, you know, he he has shown that he has a lot left in the tank because this was the first time he even played all 82 games in a season in his 15th season. And he has produced ridiculously in the first two series against Indiana and against Toronto. But when you face a team who plays well as a unit, like the Boston Celtics, LeBron, at this stage of his career, cannot do it all himself. That's what we're really learning. That's what we're finding out right now. Otherwise, you know, uh, say this was, you know, LeBron of maybe even just two years ago or three years ago, it might be a completely different story because of, you know, the, the... the conditioning that he was in, or I mean that he's still in, but you know, uh, being 30 as compared to 33 or 34 is still a a decent difference there. Um, but I'm not sitting here and giving an excuse for that. Um, I'm saying that Boston has played so well that we are now realizing it. They, they, are swarming on defense. They're doing things that we were looking at the Raptors and asking why they didn't do it. And it's like, what are you guys doing? You know, why aren't you doubling LeBron? Why are you just letting LeBron have a field day and, you know, just trying to cover the other guys, but at the same time, not doing a good job of it. Like, I mean, Kevin Love had a good series against Toronto. Uh, not saying that, like, you know, he's a bad player or anything, but uh, they not only didn't really defend LeBron well at all, but they also weren't that great at defending the rest of the team. Whereas Boston is throwing all sorts of double teams, all sorts of help defenders, all sorts of different looks at LeBron, which really slowed him down in game one to a tune of only 15 points. And on top of that, they're swarming around the rest of the team because they can switch on almost everything. I mean, they don't, their smallest guy is obviously Terry Rozier, but you know, he's still quick enough to to make up the difference that he might lack in physicality. And even though Marcus Smart isn't the tallest guy, he's still one of the strongest guys on the court, and he he's not a guy you can just, you know, laugh at when he when someone's trying to post him up. So the the versatility of this Boston Celtics team is what's really crazy. Uh, uh, like the the reason that 
this kind of potential is unlocked for them is because of how versatile they are. And when you add in guys like Gordon Hayward and, and Kyrie Irving uh, next year, I mean, Gordon Hayward, you can plug him in at the two, three, or four. Uh, Kyrie Irving, you can plug him in at the one or the two. And you can you still have Tatum who can be at the two, three, or four. Jalen Brown who can be at the two, three, or four. Maybe even the one sometimes. Uh, Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart, they can be your backup ones. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a whole lot of looks. You still got Marcus Morris who can even play the four, maybe even the five if you want to go really small ball. And you still have Al Horford who can be your starting five and bring you pretty much a little bit of everything that a team might need and help anchor a defense because we've been seeing him have a great defensive season as well as a great defensive postseason. He was able to, to, for the most part, contain guys like Joel Embiid, and now he's containing guys like Kevin Love, and he's even uh, putting some really good defensive looks against LeBron. The, Al Horford is having himself a really, really nice season, postseason, everything. And sure, we all made the jokes about him being average Al and everything because, you know, that's kind of how he carries himself. He's not a guy that's outwardly flashy. He's not a guy that's going to uh, uh, sit there and give you 30 a night or give you 20 and 10 a night or, or anything like that. But what he is is a great team player. And the fact that he can give you a little bit of everything is something that you want on your team. He's pretty much the passive Draymond. Like, if Draymond was a guy who never really talked or, or talked trash or, you know, or didn't have the fiery attitude, you'd have Al Horford. But the reason we talk about Draymond a lot is because of how flashy he is and how he's on uh, the Golden State Warriors and he's the guy who's doing all the trash talking and he's he's the enforcer and all that kind of stuff. Al Horford does the same kind of things that Draymond does, maybe not to the same extent on the defensive end where Draymond can cover so many different people all of the time, uh, but at least in this season, Al Horford is doing the same types of things. I'm not saying that he's giving you the same exact stats all the time. No, I'm not doing that because, you know, Draymond is still a defensive player of the year caliber type player. Horford's having this one defensive player of the year type season, even though he's not in the finalists and he's being overlooked a lot. He, you know, if if they extended it to top five finalists for defensive player of the year, I'm sure you could have an argument of him being in there. Um, And so... This is the kind of guy that really any contending team would want. A guy that, you know, won't complain, won't, um, uh, uh, you know, get himself into technical foul situations all the time uh, and, and just go out there, put his head down and flat out play and bring his teammates along with him along the way. So it's, you know... It, it, it's really a testament to him in how well he's doing this this off this postseason, uh, and then you got guys like Jalen Brown uh, and Terry Rozier who are making those leaps that you want to see in younger players. Sure, Terry Rozier has been here a couple more seasons than Jalen Brown, but you know both of them are still making that leap that you want to see if you want your team to improve as the years go on. Uh, we've talked about Terry Rozier obviously a lot. The whole scary Terry kind of thing going on here with the, you know, the the Drew Bledsoe jersey after beating Eric Bledsoe, and then the scary Terry shirts and all that kind of stuff. The man has been on fire this postseason.
postseason and he's going to get himself paid. The big question with Terry Rozier is the fact that is Boston going to want to pay him instead of maybe using that money to go get, you know, a bigger name or will another team swoop in, take Terry Rozier and then maybe he's not as good because he's not with uh uh Stevens. You know, there's a there's a whole lot of factors there, but Either way, he's going to get himself paid. The guy, the man is, I, I believe, if I'm quoting uh, our own BJ Boyer in his article, if I'm quoting him correct, he is the 11th highest paid player on this Celtics team, which means, I mean, he's almost the lowest play, the lowest um, paid player on this team. I can check that out in one second here for you. Uh, if I bring this up on Basketball Reference. Let's see. All right, well, you know, there's there's guys that they're paying who they released, but Yabusil, Aaron Baines, Marcus Smart, Greg Monroe, all those guys are getting paid more than Terry Rozier. The only two guys that are still playing right now that get some playing time that are making less than Terry Rozier are Shane Larkin and Ojale. Those are the only two guys that are still playing. I mean, you still got like Nader, Tice, Jackson, uh, those guys that are below them. Uh, but I'm talking about guys who are actually getting playing time. So, yeah, th- this man's going to get some money, like a lot of money, like bags of money. <laughs> he will be securing the bag. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him in the offseason. But with a guy like Jalen Brown, he's making the leap that you want to see. I know that a few of the Lakers fans uh, in our group chat, in our Basketball Society group chat have said that Jalen Brown's making the leap that they hoped Brandon Ingram would make. Not saying Brandon Ingram didn't make a leap, but Jalen Brown is out here doing 23 points a night against the, the Cleveland Cavaliers in the playoffs. And not just that, if you go back to, let's go back to the, the Sixers series here. Um, Jalen Brown averaged 15 a night, but he was coming back. That was when he first came back from the hamstring injury. I mean, he didn't even play the full, when he his first two games he came back, he didn't really even play that many minutes. Uh, in this series, he only averaged 27 minutes played as compared to this series against Cleveland, where he is averaging 31 minutes played. So, you know, four more minutes and he's putting up 23? That's... <laughs> That's a testament right there. And, I mean, 46% from three, 52% from the floor, the man is on fire. And this is the kind of thing you love to see out of your younger players moving forward, especially when the fact that you think you <laughs> when you think about it and realize you still got Kyrie and Gordon Hayward waiting for you. So, that's crazy. And then, of course, I mean... Like we've talked about before, you can always bring up Jason Tatum in this as well. Uh, He's averaging 13 points this series. He's actually not having as good of a series uh, this time around as the the first two series that he had. Like, in comparison against the Sixers, Jason Tatum was actually the leading scorer for for the Celtics at 23 points a game. Um, But so far against Cleveland, like I said, he only has 13 points a game. But... I mean, that's still helping them tremendously. He's still shooting 47% from the floor, almost 38% from three points. So, I mean, he's still a, a big help. He's just not as good as he was. He's like, 
But the thing is, he's also a rookie, so I'm not really expecting Jason Tatum to consistently score 23 points a game for every series uh, throughout the playoffs, especially as the teams get harder and as you face guys like a LeBron. Um, Terry Rozier actually wasn't doing well at all this series until about the second half of Game 2. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when he goes to Cleveland, especially because when you look at his splits, Terry Rozier has not been good away from home. That is, And that's something that you know a lot of people talk about is that the the the, the role players usually are are very good at home and then as soon as you go to an away crowd they start to get into a little bit of funk that's pretty much what separates i mean i don't want to boil it down to that one thing but that's a, a a major thing that separates the the role players from the star players or you know, at least from the the solid starters of a of an nba team uh, and then, so just going over to the Cavs a little bit, it's it's really, what's the word? I, I guess it's it's just painful to watch them on offense. Like I, the the one thing that I thought about, um, well, not I thought about uh, our own Felix um, uh, John Baptiste. He said that. The Cavs were kind of like the Eastern version of the Rockets. And it wasn't in the fact of, you know, like the way they, you know, the, the, the firepower or anything like that. It was in the way that there's a lot of ISO, a lot of guys standing around. Um, and this is referring to the Rockets, like obviously in game one against a Golden State because their their game two was completely different. But there's a lot of ISO, a lot of standing around. You know, when, when a guy's dribbling the ball for the Cavs, almost nobody cuts. There's nobody really cutting to the hoop. There's either guys just posting up, they sit there for a while, they don't get the ball, they move out. And then LeBron will dribble around a while, he'll drive. If the defenders did, came off their guy, he'll kick it out. If they don't, he'll try and do something himself. And that's about it. That's like the whole offensive game plan. So if that's your offensive game plan, a defense like the Celtics and a smart coach like Stevens, yeah, they're going to they're gonna figure that out, that they're going to... <laughs> it's not going to be that difficult for them to really understand how to play that. If you're not whipping the ball around like they are, then you're playing into their hands. When the Sixers took one game from the the uh, the Celtics, it was because of two main aspects. A, they were consistently active on defense. And B, they were moving the ball and looking for the best po- possible shot. And that that was that's the big thing. If you are consistently active, I'm not saying you have to, you know, steal like ten balls and block ten shots and and force twenty five turnovers. I'm not saying you gotta do all that. I'm saying you have to be consistently rotating you have to be consistently active with trying to you know shield the shooter's eyes or or contest a shot or you know really work to get a hand up on a guy who otherwise would be shooting a wide open jumper there's a whole lot of times where i've seen um you know they're they're setting a pick and they're moving one guy switches the other guy follows that man and there was no communication and it, the, there was specifically 
three or four times in the second half of game two that I saw LeBron being the one not communicating. I saw him hanging out in the paint and a guy setting a screen, him just moving with the, the screener, and then the the uh, defender, whoever was covering the guy that was getting was calling for the screen he was following the screener thinking they were going to switch but no LeBron's all the way in the paint and he's not saying anything because he's watching the ball and then the ball goes over to the wide open guy he hits a shot LeBron gets mad at the person who switched and that's that they they just go to the other end there's a whole lot of like terrible body language by this team and it looks like they just constantly mad at each other if if that's how you're going to play First off, even if you do make the finals, you're definitely not beating Golden State or Houston for that matter. If you are consistently mad at your own teammates for, you know, stupid things that sometimes are even your fault, that that's no way to play any sport, let alone basketball. Any team sport, if, if you're just constantly mad at each other all the time and not playing for each other, I mean, you can make your, your arguments and say how, you know, Michael Jordan yelled at his team all the time, blah, 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 whatever, but they still respected him and played for each other and were always there for each other. There seems to be this aura around this current Cavaliers team where it's like, yeah, guys are happy they're with LeBron because he's LeBron, but at the same time, they're not happy because of the style of play and they're not getting you know there's the there's the adage where if you give a guy a ball and let him go get at least started on offense he'll give you some effort on defense because he's happy that he's he's getting involved on offense but if he's not even getting involved, if you're just, you know, passing him up, and then if you pass it to him three times a game and expect him to hit those three shots, whether it's open or contested, but, you know, hey, I passed you those ball three times, you didn't, you only made one of those shots. Come on, that's no way to play this game at all. That's just not a way to do it. So I don't know what you really expect from that, but it's not going to cut it, period. So those are my thoughts on that series. Uh, if you ask me right now, uh, I am kind of torn. I honestly think it could either be Cavs in seven or Celtics in six. I think it could go either one of those ways, but it all depends on if the Cavs finally figure out uh, that they can enjoy playing basketball with each other. Or if they just want to keep getting mad all the time about not switching correctly and giving up wide open jumpers and losing the ball to the Celtics. So, you know, it's up to them, really. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, well, for the awards, uh, that, well, that was one thing. Um, finalists and awards uh, for Rookie of the Year, we got uh, representing the Atlantic, Jason Tatum and Ben Simmons, which isn't a surprise. Um, for, uh, six man, Fred Van Vliet is in there with Lou Williams and Eric Gordon, uh, for defensive player of the year, Joel Embiid made it in there, uh, with Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis and coach of the year, both Casey and Stevens are in there. Even though Casey was fired, he is still up for the coach of the year award. So those are your Atlantic representatives for each of those rewards. 
uh, or awards. Um, and then right now, so Toronto, I think the last thing I saw was that Toronto's looking to hire internally for their coach. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. I feel like they should at least also look external and try and find you know someone that 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 they may like as their coach maybe even at least give Mark Jackson an interview or Van Gundy an interview or uh and I mean Jeff Van Gundy not Stan Van Gundy um you know at least do your due diligence and really put forth in a in an incredible effort to find the right coach after you're firing a guy who is up for coach of the year. You know, if you go from a guy who is a coach of the year finalist to a coach that ends up being like a a, a scrub, yeah, you the you will probably be out of there in a heartbeat after that. So uh, you know, you got to really buckle down and interview as many people as possible, if if you ask me. Uh, the Bucks did hire Budenholzer, so Budenholzer's off the table. So, yeah, there's uh, not many, like, coaches with... There's not many people with head coaching experience in the NBA left that, you know, would be good enough to, to go get. So, you got you to gotta really do your research. Um, if you ask me, I think Mark Jackson would be somebody that, uh, they would really benefit from because Mark Jackson is a very defensive minded coach. And if you turn up the defense on that Raptors team, I think that could be very beneficial. However, you still need to address the roster issues because the current roster is not built to beat LeBron and it's not built to get out of the Eastern conference, especially with now, how we see how good the Celtics are, how much how uh, much improved the Sixers are, and how uh, you know the Pacers are on on the up and up. Uh, if the Bucks can figure out what they're doing now with Budenholzer as, as the coach, they're on the up and up. Uh, we'll I mean we'll see what's happening with the Wizards. We have no idea. The Knicks now with. Um, Fisdale might even be getting better sometime soon. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people coming up behind you. So, it's you got to figure something out. But anyway, that's it for me this week, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files. I will be back with you guys next week. As always, we're brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com, Basketball Society Elite Training, and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.